0: the following resources presented by the Counseling and Conference Services of IOM America. Welcome to Identity Matters Podcast. Hi, my name is Steve Finney and I will be your host. So let's take a look at our teaching today. We do welcome each of our listeners, no matter where you're listening from. If you're driving down the highway and you've got your podcast going, if you're sitting at your desk and you're listening to a podcast with that notepad open, you've got the PDF printed off, you're ready to roll and receive the teachings of True Grace Part 5. So we want to... uh Encourage each of you, no matter where it is you're listening from, to listen very carefully today because we're going to be talking about the true content of grace. We've been dealing with truly understanding the difference between law and grace in their marriage relationship. And so in part five, what we're doing is we're going to be spending time talking about the actual content of each of those. And next week we're going to move into putting a heavy emphasis upon the content of grace. So we're glad that you are with us. This is number 97 in our podcast. And if you want to stand with us as we read the word of God, it is 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 1 through 11. Who would like to come and read that for us? Therefore,
1: since we have this ministry, As we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adultery the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending commending ourselves to every man's conscience is the sight of God. And even if our gospel is... Veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In whose case, the God of this word, world was blinded the minds of the unbelieving, so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not perch, preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bond-servant for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that The surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not despairing, prosecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh.
0: May the Lord richly bless his word. You may be seated. Okay, verse 1. Someone want to read that out again for us? I want to reemphasize something. Therefore, since we have this ministry as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. Okay, what have we concluded in our study thus far in respect to the difference between mercy and grace? Mercy is Old Testament. If you have the word grace in your translation found in the Old Testament, it is basically a translator or group of translators that are taking advantage of the word and using and replacing mercy or merciful and they're putting gracious, God is a gracious God actually it translates out as mercy grace is only found in the New Testament because grace is the life of Jesus Christ. Critical peace, so what is being told to us here by Paul is that mercy, the action of God, God is merciful and he grants us mercy on a daily base, basis. In fact, the mercies of the Lord are new every single morning. So what you should be condemned by, what you should be punished over, is through God's mercy an action of God, he's being merciful to you. In other words, He's removing you from a position of being judged by it, and for it, and because of it. But grace is a complete different word. So let's take a look at that. God does not give his glory to anybody. He doesn't share it with anyone, except for two persons that we are aware of. God shares His glory with Jesus Christ, His Son. God shares His glory with the Holy Spirit. In fact, there are those who believe that the Holy Spirit is the glory of God. So some suggest that the glory of God is the purpose, the goal, and the objective of the grace of God, His Son. God is indeed glorified by the grace or Christ expression of his all-glorious character, this is God's all-glorious character, foremost by his expression in Jesus, who is the image of God, who is our Father, and it says in Colossians 1.15 and 2 Corinthians 4.4 that Christ is this image of the Father. Image is the same word that we can find and use to define identity. So this actually translates out that Jesus is the identity of God the Father. So the identity, which is the full character of a father, stay with me on this. And we have lots of listeners uh, in our tiny little world in God's huge vineyard, that are absolutely fascinated by this idea. There are exchange life identity teachers that have not really broke it down to this level before who are extremely fascinated with this idea. But here it is. God gave and imparted his identity to Jesus Christ, his son. When you take on the identity of, of your father, I don't care if he's earthly, I don't care if it's the identity of the Heavenly Father. You inherit everything there is about that father. Every characteristic of that father. The law is the characteristics, the characteristic traits of God the Father. So when you hear the laws read, you hear the laws spoken, you hear about the law of the Old Testament, you hear about the covenant, the old covenant, it is the character of God being revealed and he wants everyone to understand there's not a human ever born that can meet those standards. No one can be like God. No one can be like the character of God. No one can inherit the identity of God except for one person. A father gives his inheritance to his son, his firstborn son. Everything who I am as a father I give to you, son. So guess what Jesus had to do? Fulfill the law. And the way you can actually rephrase that is, Jesus had to fulfill the characteristics of his father by becoming his father. Have you ever read a verse where Jesus says, for I am your father? Would the guy please make up his mind? Are you our father or are you our, our groom? Are you our friend? Are you our What are you saying here? And that's how the Pharisees treated Jesus. What are you saying here? One day you say you're the father. The next day you say you're the son of the father. The next day you say that you're our groom. The next day you say it is the answer to those questions is yes. Everything the father was and will ever be, Jesus became. Because he openly said, Dad, whatever you got for me, I receive it. So the very identity of God the Father was put inside Jesus, his son. Then he sent his son into this demonic controlled world to display a simple message of, You're all failures. You're going to hell. You're going to spend eternity with the devil your father, Satan. But I'll tell you what, I'll give you an opt-out option. All of you who are weary and heavy laden and come to realize you can't meet the standards and characteristics of my father, because that's why you're going to hell, because you cannot meet those standards of his character, come to me, I'll give you rest. In fact, I'm going to tell all of you people in the world, there is no way to my Father unless you come through this tree, this cross. He narrowed the entire universe. Stay with me, listeners. He narrowed the entire universe. God is going to take the entire universe and he's going to bring it to one simple point of light the light of Jesus Christ, who is the very identity of God the Father. In the beginning, Alpha, and in the end, Omega, it will be one simple name, the name of Jesus. No one's coming under the Father through a revised name of Jesus. Nobody. All of you Hindus are going to hell. All you Mormons are going to hell. All of you Christian science people are going to hell. And the list is long and I can't get through them all because the published list is right over 3,000 religions. You're all going to hell. Unless you do exactly what Jesus came to do to say and provide, and that is, nobody's coming unto the Father except through me. And even with that, there's a condition. You need to repent of your old nature, your old way, your old self. And all of that needs to shed like the skin on a snake. And then I will give you new life, a brand new life. I'll give you a new nature, new character. In fact, I'll tell you what I'll do for you. I'll give you the very character of my father, free. I'll meet the requirements and then you can have the benefits. How's that? I mean, how much freer could you, could you be? But for some reason, 90% of the people that are listening right now to me and other preachers that are saying Jesus is the only way, and he is God, by the way. If he is God, he is the Father. If he's the Father, he has fulfilled the characteristics of the Father. The law. It's done. It's finished. It's over. Try to take your human religious leader and Stuff that in his box. And that's what we do every single day. We want to worship podcast listeners and preachers and teachers. And, and we really think it's going to get us eternal life. And Jesus made it very clear. Jesus became the very characteristics of his daddy, Abba. No one has been able to do that since nor did anyone achieve it before Jesus came. But God does not give his glory to another except through his son, Isaiah 42.8, 48.11. It must be his own self-expression, and his expression is in sending his son. See, this isn't about Jesus. Jesus would not even own credit. I watched you guys this morning you're lifting your hands and worshiping Jesus. You're you're honoring him. You're glorifying him, whatever. And you know he's not even keeping it. He's passing the glory onto his, his Abba, his daddy. The one who is at the root of identity is the one who deserves the glory thereof it. Jesus' identity was so pure, he didn't get it from his own obedience. It was a gift given to him by his Father. When Jesus took his first breath into this demonic world, he already had the identity of his Father. The payment for this identity had not occurred yet. And that's what the cross was for. Such expression of his glorious character cannot be interpreted to be as a purpose or a reason. It's too special for that. You see, we we make things so selfish. We pray about things for us, our benefit. That's not how Jesus was. What Jesus did, he did for his dad. He did for his Abba. He had to go off into the wilderness every day and pray so that he didn't choose Protection for him or what he was about. He had to adopt what his father was giving him as a mission for that day. A daily mission of his dad. Jesus had to deny himself. Do you understand that? He had to deny his own will and adopt the will of his father. Remember when he was in the garden listeners and he was sweating To the point he had no more sweat left in him. And then he started sweating blood. And what was he warring with? His own will. And what was his conclusion? Father, not but thy will. Jesus was sent as a mediator to reveal the identity of the Father. And Jesus became the identity of his father. Okay, you Exchange Life people are going to love this one. And those of you who don't know what the Exchange Life is, it's 602-292-2982. I'd love to have a nice long talk with you about truly what the Exchange Life is. But those of you who know what the Exchange Life is, here comes the big punch. God the Father and his law reveals the character of the Father, which is his identity. He takes that identity and he puts it inside of his son because Jesus is his firstborn son and his only son. Everything who the Father is in those characteristics, the law, is Jesus. Now he's got to fulfill it. But see, there's a price that has to be paid. Satan's got a price on Jesus' head. Did you know that? The sin from the garden put a price tag on every human's head that had to be paid. Every human, including Jesus Christ, had to pay the price. You come in this world as a human, and there's going to be a price on your head. And Buddha can't pay it. Joseph Smith can't pay it. Or any of these other leaders that have promised you things. They can't pay that price. There was only one that could pay the price. The one who had beheld the identity of God of the universe. He's the only one that could make this payment. Because he was bearing the identity of the Father. The DNA of God the Father. Here's our question for today. What is the purpose of God's law anyway? Even you kids can answer this because I could ask you the question in this way is what's the purpose of your dad's law? Make your bed, brush your teeth, honor your mother. What for? Huh? Teach you what? How to live life. Keep going. Okay. For obedience. Exactly. I tell my, told my children, now my grandchildren, what to do because I want them to be failures. 602, 292, 2982. The law is to produce death. You want to strap a young person with the law so that they come to the realization they can't do it. They're failures. They need daddy. They need mommy. They need the body of Christ. They need help. Because they can't do it. But usually what young people do when you give them a mandate is they want to please daddy. So they really work really hard to please daddy. And you got to remember, young listeners, that is not our goal as parents. We want you to fail. So you can have some grace. Now there's a bunch of parents that are listening. They had no clue what I just said. And that means you have no clue what the true meaning of grace is. Parents that use the law for the purpose of training and equipping and growing up their children to be responsible so they can go to hell. What's the blessing in that? You train up your children to be responsible adults that are going to be independent, self-educated, Self-trained, obedient, careful, respectful, honoring authority. For what? So they can join the 90% to go to hell? So then go to hell respectfully? The law in parenting is to break the child down, to create dependence of the child to the father. That's what it's for. You need me, son. That is not Parenting 101 for the Western Hemisphere. Parenting 101 for the Western Hemisphere is train a child up in the way that they should go. For when they get old, they can be independent, be their own god, be a respecter of people, have control of their life, be wealthy, or at least try to get wealthy, and die a respectful person with a nice article in the newspaper of how, how you are such a great person. And meanwhile, there's a few of us reading the paper and our eyes are casting down through the column to see if there's a testimony of the living God and the indwelling life of Jesus Christ in that person. There are more responsible, obedient, respectful, Unbelievers in the world than there are you Indwell believers. My experience is the worst people to work for with and in a project are the quote unquote Christians. They're demanding, they're independent, they're self-righteous, and they think they get all the answers. And the truth is they are clueless what real life is all about. But as long as they're successful and they got a good job. Yeah, but what about that car accident that leaves them in a wheelchair, as I heard this week from someone? What about that that child that grows up and they become a hater of God because they realize they can pretty much have anything in life they want on their own strength? I listened to a audio podcast that went through the rich and famous and famous quotes that they made. And it was just endless testimonies of these wealthy people who were unhappy. And after they became rich, they became more depraved. They didn't need God anymore. You see, fiery trials is to burn things up. Am I wrong here? It's to burn things up, not to add them to your life. Western theology is prosperity doctrine whether you're a stab-it-and-slab-it kind of Christian or not. You need to evaluate whether your inward motives is to cause your children to grow up to be financially successful in a job. If that's your goal, welcome to the 90%. Your goal should be that your children should grow up enjoying poverty. Are you with me? Learning to be well content with nothing and wealth. Because what you'll notice, those of you who get over 50 or 60, you're going to realize that wealth has got wings. It flies in and it flies out. And if you hinge your identity on that, thus will be your behavior. Oh, God doesn't love me because I'm not wealthy anymore. Really? There's more scriptures about love being imparted to the poverty people in the world than there is rich people. In fact, there's even statements out of our own Savior's mouth that says, if you are rich and you think you're getting through the eye of that, that tree, because you're not going to make it, it'd be easier if I could stuff a camel through that tiny little opening than to get you through it. We have churches that have adopted prosperity doctrines because they think If they can't get it on the other side, they're going to enjoy it on this side. Here's our answer. We need to look at the essential purpose of the law, the instrumental purpose of the law, and that there was no functional or behavioral purpose of the law, and there was no vital purpose of the law. Now let's change it over to parenting. We need to take a look at the essential purpose of parenting. The instrumental purpose of parenting. That there is no functional or behavioral purpose for parenting. There's no end to the means. It's to drive the child to the end of themselves. To discover. The true meaning of life. There is no vital purpose for parenting. And if you don't believe me, get into the scriptures and find out how many parents raise responsible children that go to hell. That seems to be pointless to raise responsible humans to go to hell. It seems pointless to me. The other thing that 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 struck me is this this movement that seems to be in the educational world I said to Mary that if you took sports out of colleges we wouldn't have colleges they couldn't fund them it'd be impossible to fund them so it has to become a self-motivating cycle where you put the emphasis on something that has got nothing to do with the educational institution and why they're there. And so to me that made it pointless. How many kids grow up to be pro football players? What's the percentage, Mary? Point zero 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 three five. It's pointless. But the deception is, that's why I put that video together this morning on the youth and how pointless their dreams are. Unless they're through Christ Jesus. Then it's not pointless anymore. But that's not how children are raised. Children are raised to dream dreams. Dream big. Really? So they can hallucinate and fantasize about manipulating God to join them in their prayer request? Is God your slot machine? Can you imagine Jesus Christ using his Father like a slot machine? Praying about things that would benefit him, his relationships, his world, his thing. It's not what prayer is for. Prayer is to deny thyself, pick up thy cross, and follow Jesus. That's what prayer is for. What do I need to deny today, Lord? But our Western thinking has changed the way we pray and live. Expression of grace or Christ. The Old Testament law had instrumental purpose. Now, the four I just mentioned to you are the four we're going to go through right now, and this is number one. So, we have already noted that grace is not instrumental. There is nothing beyond itself which for grace reveals or prepares, for it is the final destination. You see, Jack's on this journey, right? And we have the gold brick road. If you remember from the first episode, Jack was told by the wise old man to put his eye up to that tree without touching the tree. Genesis chapter 3. Don't eat from the tree of life. Is that what it said? God put the order on the law of don't eat from this tree of knowledge that is good and evil. But eat from all the other trees. And then when they ate from the tree of knowledge, then God said, we need to get them out of the garden. This is the triune talking amongst themselves. We need to get them out of the garden before they eat from the tree of life. See, nobody was to eat life and have life and have it abundantly until Jesus now came and provide that passageway. That's what that was about. Gospel is being revealed to us in the garden. So you see, grace is the little twinkle at the end of that pathway. And that that sparkle, that tiny little star, the closer we walk to that destination, the larger that light in life becomes to it gets to the point of being our destination, which is the grace life of Jesus Christ. That's what Jack's going to discover. That his destination and the grace that got him there It's the life of Christ that got him there. Staying on the pathway, enduring to the end, is what's going to bring him through these gates of the city of Zion. Grace can never be regarded as an instrumental sense in grace. God is immediately present and active in His Son. It's not the Son is active; it is God in His Son that is active, which becomes Christ's actions is the actions of his father. Remember when Jesus said, For whatever you see me doing, it is not I who does it, but my father. Whatever you hear me saying is not I who says it, but it is my father. Try to get a young man to have that kind of relationship with his dad. 602-292-2982 because I'd like to meet a young man because I haven't met One yet. The type of young men that I meet today are want to be their own thinkers, their own decision makers, their own way. I want to rise above the success of my father. Can you imagine us going back to the traditional Hebrew times where the father says, You cannot rise above me. A student cannot be greater than his teacher. Who do you think you are, young man? You rise above me, get out. That's how they handled them. New Testament, things changed up a bit. We needed to lead them to love and grace the life of Jesus through tenderness and and forgiveness. And even that was impossible unless the person had the life of Christ. But then there were still these young people that would say, well, that's nice, but it's not for me. So they become their own father. So Satan has to walk up to him. I don't know if you know much about the Pharisees. Pharisees were the smartest people on the earth, most educated. And these Pharisees were walking around thinking they pretty much had a handle on God. And that Jesus had to walk up to him and say, For you are of your father, Satan. Can you imagine what they were thinking after he said that? This guy must be off. His rocker. He just called us sons of Satan. That's how you train up a responsible child. Train him up to be a son of Satan. Have their father be lies. Why? Because Satan wants them to think that they are their own father. They are their own authority figure. They are their own God. Meanwhile, there's a coming a day when Satan's going to say, Bow or die. Interesting thing is, though, we know that's true about Satan because Revelation is filled with that. But the interesting thing, folks, it's the exact same thing God's going to say. Bow. There is no die. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is God. God is the translation so why is there a movement amongst these exchange life schools worldwide that Jesus is not God that's what I call a duh it's the final statement that is going to be out of every human's mouth that said to God this isn't for me the final statement so why wouldn't he attack every religious institution in the entire world to come to the conclusion, I believe God the Father is God. I don't believe Jesus is God. He's just a great teacher. And the Holy Spirit, well, we're, we've are we never been quite sure about who, if that's a person, a thing, or... Well, we don't know. How can you name a spirit God? A person. We're a mess. Satan knows what he's doing, folks. Within the history of the Christian thought, grace has often been cast in instrumental forms. It's it's a tool, particularly as an instrument of action through the sacraments. Jess was just sharing about her friend being a part of a church where her daughter, after becoming indwelt by Jesus Christ, wanted to be baptized and they wouldn't baptize her. She has to be taken through a series, a class on baptism. Crazy stuff. Sacraments. There are some who actually drink of the cup and think that as the juice goes down your throat, it turns to Christ's blood. There are some that pick up the the bread and they break it and they eat it, and as it's going down your throat, it turns to the flesh of Jesus Christ. You see, they somehow have locked and loaded that grace is an action. So therefore, these twisted views of sacraments, in other words, you get saved through baptism. And that's just a short list. So there was one particular group that were freaking out because they thought, wow, if we don't put this holy water on top of little babies, And we don't really believe that. Well, what are we going to do? I mean, these babies, if they die, are they going to go to hell? Or So what would they come up with? Baby dedication. Well, we better at least get these babies dedicated to the Lord. So, you know, we brought it to his attention that this child is not saved, of course, but we need your hand upon them. That's what we've done with grace, is we've created these religious things in church. To prove that grace is an action, and it's not, it's a destination, it's a person. Where grace is related to action or behavioral instrumentation, then the whole redemption and creative activity God through His Son can be construed only as a casual connection, a relational mission to answer the prayers of humans to make them feel better. Oh, the grace of God will cover that. Really? I say the law covers it, and we throw grace around like it is an instrument that people can use in their own life, and they avoid salvation. Oh God, what have we done to your profound truth? And if you think, listener, because you are a very experienced teacher and preacher of the truth of the indwelling life of Jesus Christ, that you cannot be deceived into a universal thought. You may want to take a list of that new list that's growing online of preachers who are converting to universalism. And some of you have been quoting from their books for years. It happens. Are they faithful to the end? I say no. They're not, because they've turned grace into something that it is not, Jude 1.4. They've turned it into a permission-based instrument that leads people to death. Number two, the Old Testament law had essential purpose to reveal the Spirit. Listen carefully. The purpose to reveal the Spirit of the character of God, which is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was not invented when Christ came out of the water. The Holy Spirit has always been God, with God, and carrying out God's mission. Always. It was only in this sense that the law was used as an instrument to reveal the Holy Spirit of God. You see, God wanted people to experience failure. I, I can't do it. I just, I just can't do it. I can't live this life. I can't meet your standards, God. And I'm here to tell you the Holy Spirit's going to communicate to you. That's His point. Now, do you want the answer, or do you want to go build an altar and and form some idol out of clay somewhere? It's your, it's your choice. You can go run off with Joseph Smith if you want, or go hug a Buddha. But it's your choice, or I can give you the real answer. Now you local people, I want you to help me understand something. Why do you think that people, after hearing precise truth that will set them free, still choose to go rub a Buddha's belly? Because your Buddha can be anything. It could be your fancy new car sitting out in the driveway. Or it could be your your house that's going to take the next 160 years to pay for. Whatever it is, that's your Buddha. That's your little statue you put on your desk and you look at every day because you got to work harder to pay for that thing. That's another thing that's always been astounding to me is why idols are so expensive and they demand so much cash. Whether you're sending your 10% plus your offering into a television preacher, or whether you are just simply paying off a mortgage that's going to take 160 years, these idols are usually very expensive. So why, guys? Why, after hearing profound truth, people go back to their Buddhas? Okay, immediate gratification and something they can see. Comfortable? Comfortable. Have you ever met an idol that barks out orders and you have to obey? I haven't.
1: Well, the television does that every 15
0: minutes. (laughs) (laughs) It's called a commercial, huh? You think that after you become born again and you have this great exchange in your life and the power of the Holy Spirit lives and breathes inside you, that he's not going to tell you what to do? That's called... Not Christianity as I would see it as Christ followers. That's not called true into what Christianity. You see, the point of you getting saved in exchange is so you can be told what to do. Idols don't tell you what to do. You tell them what to do. You can clothe the little Buddha with fancy new clothes. You can polish him up so he looks like polished marble. You can paint a big picture of him on the wall. You can bow to him and call him all kinds of stuff and thank him for the blessings in your life. And the fact is, he's not talking to you. He's not indwelling you. He's not caring for you. So what does it boil down to? Can you be told what to do? And over 90% of the world's population would say, nope. Well, then go get an idol. Have fun with it. It'll bankrupt you. So the essential purpose of the law, it was to impart his character through the Holy Spirit, which which was put into his son, and then it was imparted into the bride of Christ. So here's the beauty. One more time. God is the identity of the universe. He gave his identity to his son. Jesus became the identity of the father. He came on this earth and he decided through the decision of being told to do what to do from his father to lay down his life and become a passageway to bring the people back to the father to share in his identity for eternity just so happens there's only a few on that pathway that says, Sign me up. I want to be told what to do. Sign me up. These are people, guys, and if you're one of them, praise God, where you're raising your hand saying, I want someone to tell me what to do, to train me, to equip me, to help me, to guide me, to break me down, to build me up, to do whatever you want to do. Sign me up. Whereas the others are going, Hey, look, I'd rather take a pill. Anything to avoid discomfort. That's what we've got. But those of you who are saying, sign me up, I want to be told what to do, when you get on the other side, you will never, stay with me, you will never have to be told what to do. You'll automatically know. And you'll be there to do it before you're asked to do it. That's the new earth. You are so in touch with the mind of Christ, your husband, you are there before you're told what to do. The law will have no purpose besides revealing the full character and identity of God the Father. You will be the direct reflection of the identity of the Father because the Father put it in His Son, His Son was put in you, and you have become the very identity of Jesus and Jesus' identity is the identity of his Father. Bingo! Completion of the goal. This made the Father's actions through the law purposeful and accomplished the mission of placing grace in the bride, us, placing grace in the bride of his Son. Thus, marrying law God, and grace, Jesus, they're not bad. Law's not bad. Law's very good. But if it's put upon us to accomplish something, it will kill us. So the essence of God's being is now in the bride of his son, which unites the bride unto the Father. Number three, law did not have a vital purpose. It could not impart life for Jesus, John five thirty nine and 40. Galatians 3.21, it could not produce righteousness, it could not bring salvation, although grace, Jesus, is essentially vital for that. It wasn't grace that brought us salvation, it says, for you are saved by my life. Not a tool or instrument to convey life, righteousness, or salvation, but essential vital as the living God giving himself to us through the Holy Spirit, by way of his risen Son, who is our life. Righteousness and salvation, resulting in Christ being our life, John 1, 4, 11, 1.4, 11.25, 14.6, Colossians 3.4, and of course, 1 John 5.12. Christ is our righteousness. Christ is our salvation. These are identity statements. Now the list is very long. There's well over a hundred that we know of. Where Christ says, I am, I am. There's 225 names registered for Jesus. They're all identity statements. The living God is active, alive in every action, expressing his grace as the person of Jesus Christ. There must be no separated doctrine, which detaches the Father's identity and being from the indwelling life. It is the same. If you know your identity in Christ, you know the law of God. And will say, I want to obey! I want to sign me up! But if you find yourself constantly resisting being told what to do by the inward life of Christ you're still under old beliefs of the law. And I can assure you, you will fail. And I can assure you, Christ will let you fail. And I can assure you, He's not going to make you feel better when you pray. He wants you to embrace coming to the end of yourself on each individual item. He wants you to embrace coming to the end of yourself as a whole. Say, I can't do it. So the Holy Spirit could say, Exactly. That's his point. Exactly. You think all the work that I did with my own son to have him fulfill my law was for nothing? You think he died fruitlessly? Without cause and reason? No. All of God's expressions, through Christ, upon Christ, and pushing Christ to his own death, was for a reason. So you could be blessed without a price tag. Three. Grace is a destination. Number four. There was no provisional power, Holy Spirit within the law to provide the ability to keep the commandments. God didn't put these commandments on his people and say, Okay, I've also given you this Holy Spirit that's with you and among you that's going to empower you to keep the law. You know what that would have done? Please listen carefully, my particular friends who are Orthodox priests. Listen carefully. What that does is say there's no purpose for a Christ, as you would say, a Messiah. There's no purpose for it. If, if God says, I'm going to give you the law, and I'm, I'm going to help you fulfill it. It's, it's pointless. So there is and was no Holy Spirit given with the characteristics of the Father to have humans try to measure up to those standards. The performance of the regulations of the law can only be attempted by works of human effort, striving to function as God but failing to do so. Thus, the dynamic purpose of the law is to create failure. miss the mark. What is the Greek definition of sin? Miss the mark. What is a sinner? Someone who lives in a lifestyle of missing the mark. You should see that now. He is literally rubbing Satan's original temptation of man functioning as God right into his face. So the reason why Satan is behind legalism in Christians and legalism in the world and all this other stuff, these do's and don'ts, don't eat that, eat this, don't say, the reason why he's into that is because he wants people to feel like failures. Because he knows the law produces failures. Bang, they shoot themselves. Depression. The endless labels of people's lives out of control. Duh. It's his goal. He knows the end result of people trying to live life through their own works is going to produce despair and loneliness and death. And so he goes, hmm, I got this one. I'm going to develop a bunch of perfectionists all over the world. People who freak out when there's something out of place. That's what I'll do. So they'll feel like failures. So I can have them before they pray that prayer of salvation. Jesus or grace is the functional provision of God for the behavioral expression of God's character within mankind. That line blows me away to know that God's going to express himself through me, his character through me, by Jesus fulfilling the law through me. That'll mess with your mind. Since man failed at functioning as God, he put himself in the indwelt believer by way of the Holy Spirit in order for Jesus to function as God, my Indian people listen very carefully, in order for Jesus to function as God, fulfilling the regulatory mandates of the law, thus making the believer perfect and keeping the law since Christ fulfills it in and through the believer. So you pastors out there who are warring with the idea of joining the movement that Jesus is not God, you're blowing a hole in your foot. You can't walk after the Spirit. You're going to paralyze yourself and you're inviting demonic forces upon you because Christ is God and being God gives him the prerogative to have fulfilled the law. He is the character of God. Then he put him inside of us the indwelling life in Christ so that it can just be lived out. So people, quote-unquote, believers who don't believe that Jesus is God, I doubt they are truly saved. Sorry, at 602-292-2982. I doubt it. And I'm not trying to be God saying that you are or not saved, but I can say. There are certain words that come out of people that you just cannot associate them with being believers. You can't. It's like someone saying, I'm a Satanist, but I have the life of Christ. Really? They they, they just don't go together. Saying someone that's saying that Jesus is not God and thinking they have the indwelling life of Jesus, who's just a mere human, and where do he get the power to do that, by the way? They don't line up, and Satan is so deceptive, he gets people to make stupid comments about things that don't line up theologically, so they can claim to be an exchange life teacher and not believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and God at the same time. So again, Satan loses, since Christ fulfills it in and through the believer, Satan loses the battle on all sides of tempting man to function as God, which is what he constantly attempts and tempts to do in our lives. He's a loser. And he knows it. Here's our identity statement for today. What we've been revealing in our teaching is the necessary contrast between law, God, grace, Jesus, and the impartation of the Holy Spirit to the bride. The law was instrumental, a means to an end, that is God's end. Christ is the end of the law. Romans 10:4. Grace or Jesus is not instrumental. Grace or Jesus is the essential expression of the vital character of God which is the law and that law actually lives and breathes inside every indwell believer through release of the Holy Spirit to actually fulfill the law in them by the faith that is put in them by Jesus Christ so the law demanded and continues to demand works of obedience since man is a failure at functioning as God God put God in us through the personhood of his own Son, who is God. Do you understand how important it would be understanding and keeping the doctrines in place that Jesus is God? It's essential. If it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. Now put Jesus' name in there. It is by Jesus... It is no longer on the basis of works or the law. Otherwise, Jesus is no longer Jesus. I can't give you a better conclusion than that. There are some people somewhere, someplace. Maybe you're out there in a bush in Africa, listening to a podcast on your smartphone. Don't make a decision and ignore the truth that you've heard today that that could set you free. Don't say, I've been saved since I was eight years old because I prayed a prayer. I have a ticket in my back pocket. Maybe you're under conviction today to receive the true life of Jesus Christ today. If you can't print off the PDF, you can still open it on your smartphone and read the prayer. And you don't even need to read this particular prayer. If you're under conviction and the Holy Spirit is pressing upon you, not within you, pressing upon you to confess that you are still of your old nature, your old self, your Adamic nature, your unregenerate spirit. Just give up and pray and give your life over to Christ. And he'll pull you through the eye of that needle and give you new life in Christ Jesus.